So those of you who don't know me, I'm Roberta. I'm married to Daryl. We celebrated 39 years of marriage yesterday. Ooh, Obviously, I'm Corey's mother. Um, I have three girls after Corey. Corey was my firstborn, and um, and I have 14 grandchildren now that I have honey. Ooh. And yes, I will be having honey cuddles this afternoon. Oh. <laughs> Which is nice. You jealous? You jealous? Hey, look, it's a privilege to share with you this morning. Corey sent me a text and thanked me for being here, and I thought. It's a privilege and an honour to be here because those of you who know Corey, there was a time when he walked away from God. And um, during that time, we went into, you've got to battle spiritually for your kids, people. Don't forget that. Don't just, don't battle in the natural. Battle in the spiritual. Battle in the natural, your relationships. Battle in the spiritual, you see results. That's for someone here today. I don't know who, but yeah, <laughs> that's not on my notes. Um, <laughs> so, um, during that time, I had a vision. I had a vision of him and Daryl standing on a platform together. And I always pictured it, and I could see them ministering together. So when it comes to a place where I'm standing on a platform where he's preaching, I just go, yes, because that's an answer in God. Amen? Amen. So I'm talking about the table today. I'm not talking about the communion table, but I'm talking about the table. And... Um, See, Sarah's here today, so she'll understand what what I'm saying. That um, Daryl's parents lived on a farm, and inside the kitchen, you walked in the door, it was table. The table was massive. It's a big Rigmo table, and it had been done by Sarah's dad. He had found it in the shed, and he had restored it, and that's where everything happened. And that family was around that table. On that table, mutton was cut up. On that table, baking was done. On that table, we would have many meals. And at Christmas time, the kids, like Sarah, would be fighting to be at the main table and not the little card table squeezed into the corner. It was a big thing to be at the table. The table would have sat, what, 14 or more? And um, so, of course, recently, Daryl's father has passed away, and as a family, we've got to go through all the stuff because his mother's already gone. And there's this table that we're all in love with, but nobody has room for the table (laughs) because we don't have rooms like that anymore to fit the table. But we all love the table, and we've all scratched our head on what to do with the table because it feels like it represents the family, that table. But then you had to come to the conclusion that it's not the table, it's whose table it was. And it's not the table, but it's who was at the table. Amen? That made that table special. That was the table table that we sat round and told Daryl's parents that we were getting married. They asked us what date, and we said March the 12th. And he said, do you know what what my future father-in-law says? Don't ask me why I said this. He says, I'll remember that date because that's when I put the rams out. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) when Corey was born, he was the first grandson. And so when we went down to visit them straight from the the maternity home in those days, where a woman came home feeling refreshed because she'd slept for two weeks. 
jealousy people now, aren't you? We got spoiled. Anyway, <laughs> brought them home to there. That was the table that we sat around, and that's the, where we viewed the dint in the ceiling where the grape juice was opened in celebration and pinged and left the a dint in the ceiling because that table was oh, yeah. all about us as a family. <laughs> so I started looking at tables in the, in the Bible. And Psalm 23, oh, 1 to 6, I'm going to start here. And no, it is not a death psalm. I'm taking this psalm back. We read it in funerals. This is not a death psalm. This is a psalm for living. We need this to live. Amen? Because how many people know things come against us? How many people know that sometimes you feel like you're walking through a valley? Amen? How many people know that it says in the Bible, no weapon fashioned and formed against you will prosper? But it doesn't say there will be no weapons fashioned and formed against you. They just promise that it won't prosper. Amen? So it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Oh, so many good promises there. You could preach on this for days. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the midst, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the midst, in the midst, in the middle of walking through that, there is a table. There is a table that has been set for you. That table has all the grace. That table has all the love. That table has all the promises. That table has all the authority. That table has all the power that you're going to need as you're walking through it. It's in the middle of the valley. It's not at the end as a reward because you got through. It's in the middle of the valley for you to come and sit around. And you know what? It says that you're walking around and it's talking about enemies. You know, the enemy can't touch that table. The enemy can't take anything off that table. The enemy can't stop you sitting at that table because that table has been prepared for you. Amen? Because it's whose table it is. And it's who is at that table. Everything we should need is on that table. So no matter what you're going through, no matter how dark it feels, there's a table. There's a table right in the middle of all that, right in the presence of the enemy, and the enemy can't touch it. Sometimes we think the enemy can take those things, but he can't. Amen? He can't touch them. He can't touch them. That was Daryl. He starts singing, can't touch us. No, I'm not Daryl. I don't have to. <laughs> so I'm looking at that table and I'm thinking, yes, how good. There's a table. So go on to have a look at some more tables. So we're going to look at a few more today. 2 Samuel 4.4. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picks him up and she flees. But as she hurries away, she drops him and he became crippled. And then we hear about him again. 
and chapter 9. And David actually comes, I'm not going to read all this scripture because I don't want to get caught up in scripture, I want you to hear what I'm trying to say. Amen? The scripture, obviously I want you to read it, you know. Wow. Yes, scripture is very important. But I don't want to let you over all the big words. And you worry about me and whether I'm pronouncing it properly. I'd rather you hear what I'm saying. Okay? I left school for thing. Okay. It's a long time ago. So um, David is now king. And so he starts asking, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Saul? Because he wants to show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And now there was a servant of that house, his name was Ziba, and they called him and they said to him, he said, I want you to go and look to see if there's someone I can show kindness to. And he says, yes, Jonathan has a son. He's crippled in his feet. And he says, where is he? And he said where he was staying, and he was at a place called Lodabar. Now Lodabar is important because Lodabar means no word, no communication. So this boy is in a place where there's no word, there's no communication. And all of a sudden, this guy's knocking on the door saying, King wants to see you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how he's feeling? Because his grandfather was the enemy of the king today. Normally, he just killed everybody off when you come into power, so no one else could take over. I think he would have been in fear and trembling because he was in a place of no word and no communication. He was in a place where he wouldn't have known the heart of David. He wouldn't have known that David was going to be a friend, not an enemy. And so he brings him in and he falls on the ground in front of him. He's falling down in a, in a mode of surrender, thinking, what's happening? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And in verse 7 it says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I'll restore to you all the land of saw your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? He pictured himself in a very bad way. Amen. Saw himself as a dead dog and he's like, he's like, why would you do this to me? And then of course he goes further and he restores all this stuff to him. And in verse 13 it said that he lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Always at the king's table. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm a bit of a storyteller and I write stories, so my mind is going with that. Because it still goes on about how he was lame in both his feet. Do you think because he was lame in both his feet was why he couldn't leave from a place of no word and no communication? Do you know people who are lame in their feet? and cannot walk into a place like this and accept the love of God because they are in a place of no word and no communication? Do you know that there's people out there that you can bring to the king's table? There's people out there that you can bring to the king's table. And do you know what happens at the king's table? There would have been protection. He would have always been protected. No one ever would have tried to touch him because he was sitting at the king's table. No matter what they thought of Saul, no matter what they thought of Jonathan, no matter what they thought of anything, they could not touch him because he would have had protection. The second thing he would have had would have been provision. Always food. Always being provided for. Always being looked after because there's provision 
at the table. And of course, the other thing, his presence would have always been in the presence of the king. Do you know that we are offered the same thing today? We are offered protection when we come and sit at the table. We are offered provision when we come and sit at the table. But oh, most of all, we are offered presence. Presence when we come and sit at that table. He's actually sitting at a table with the king. This paints a picture for us, a picture of what Jesus has done for you and me. You know, you may be crippled from the past. You may have come from a place of nowhere. You may not feel that you actually are worthy of sitting at the king's table, but we can. Not because we're born in the right family, or because my life is so successful that I've impressed somebody, or I've managed to pay for a ticket, or I've said the right words, or I've said the right things. That is not why I get to sit at the table. I get to sit at the table because I'm loved. And because I have a king that actually wants relationship with me, I've got a king that paid a price so that I can actually sit at that table with him. Just like Mephibosheth, the king calls us into his presence and says, even though you don't have a claim, even though you don't deserve it, I restore everything that was yours before Adam's fall. And now you're part of my family. And you sit at my table and you partake of all that I have. And it's been all brought and paid for. And that price was high. It cost all that Jesus could give. Not paid for by gold or silver, but with the blood of Jesus. And we get to sit at that table. We can come from a place of nowhere. We can come crippled. We can even come with a limp because of what we've walked through. Maybe your life has been great and you've never had to walk through some things, but we all know that we've all missed the mark, that none of us live perfect lives, but he paid the price for all. And we all walk stronger and better with him as the center of our lives. At the table, there's a place for you. An invitation has been made. The invitation has come sit at the table. At the table, the feast is healing. Peace, grace, abundance, relationship. But like I said, there's protection and there's provision and there's presence. And I look at Mephibosheth. He was crippled in his feet not because of his own actions. He was made lame by someone else's action. And that action at that time would have been with good intent. They were like, let's save this boy. This is Jonathan's son. We've got to get out of the city. We've got to think. But she drops him and he's lame. Maybe someone you loved and trusted has dropped you. Maybe that's why you feel that you're lame. Maybe that's why you feel you come from a place of nowhere. Maybe that's why you feel you're not worthy to sit at a table. But you are. You are. Because it's not about the table but it's about whose table it is. It's not about the table, but it's about who is sitting at that table with us. It's good news, isn't it? Yeah. We have Zacchaeus. I like Zacchaeus. Always when I think of him, I think of that song, you know. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Do you remember that? No? <laughs> Children's church song from a long time ago. Climbed up into a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Um, so Luke 19, 1 to 10, it says, 
It's talking about Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. So I want to look at some of the people Jesus sat at the table with when he was walking here on this earth. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But in account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus, I think, I'm going to picture him. Says he's short. I think he's quite curious. Because how many men here would climb up a tree to see somebody? So he climbs up a tree. He's climbing up a tree because he's trying to seek Jesus. In my mind, I'm thinking he's a tax collector. Tax collectors weren't even allowed in the temple because tax collectors had this special rule that they had to collect the tax for the Romans, but anything they got over and above that was fine, and it was for them. So I don't think the people that were there were like, oh, we love you. You're my best friend. Oh, yes, I go to Zacchaeus' house. Oh, yes, we all get round together. He would have been quite despised. I think him pushing through a crowd might have gone down too well. What do you think? As he's trying to get past everybody, and they're like, you, 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 you don't deserve to see Jesus. You know, you're working from the other side. Come on, let's be real. I don't think he was loved by the people, but I, he was loved by Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus actually invites himself. He says, I'm going to your house. What do you do when you go to a house? You have a meal and a cup of tea. Cup of tea. Whiskey. <laughs> Stay the night. He obviously ate. But he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. So I want you to realize that even though you don't think you're worthy to sit at the table, he's got an invitation out there for you. He wants to come and dwell with you. Amen? He wants to come and eat with you. Then we have another tax collector. We have Levi sitting at the tax booth. He's actually doing his job. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. This is in Luke 5, 27 to 32. And there was a large company of tax collectors. Obviously, tax collectors got wrong with tax collectors. And they were reclining at the table. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. So here it is, yet again, a man who would have been despised. But Jesus goes, and he, and he comes up to him. The invitation was great, because he's saying, follow me. He's like, I choose you. I pick you. The most unobvious person. If you were doing a job interview, I don't think he would have made it to be a disciple if we'd done a job interview. You know, are you good with people? Do you think you've got the trust of people that they'll hear you when you talk to them? 
Do you think they'd let you get in their house? I mean, I think you would have failed. But came to a job, a job interview. But Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. He doesn't say to him, go away, do some study, pray more, read more of the Bible, repent, and then you can follow me. He says to him, come and follow me, because he can see who he can be, which is the same with us. He can see who we can be. And that's what he's calling to, and that's what he's looking to, and he's saying, and he goes and he has a feast with them. They sit around a table in our day and age. Don't come to my house and I'd recline you somewhere. That would be a bit weird. But the same kind of thing, amen? And then we have Mark 7, 24 to 30. I love this scripture. This, this scripture say, changed my life. This scripture I get excited about. And I've got eight minutes to be excited about it every day. <laughs> Mark 7, 24 to 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is Jesus. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for the statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and she found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. I want you to picture this. This is a mother who is desperate. Desperate. Her daughter is tormented. Her daughter's not living the life that a mother would want for a child. This woman seeks Jesus out. No doubt she'd heard or may have seen what he has done. She would have seen that people's lives had been changed forever. She would have heard about the healings, the deliverance and the freedom that has been that was following him. And she being a mother, she wants more for her child. Jesus was her only hope. She finds him trying to have some time out. She seeks him out. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right place, but her need drove her to seek him anyway. And she throws herself down at his feet. But you see, this man is a rabbi. He's of the Jewish faith. The people who were getting healed were being healed by their God, the great I Am, the God of the Jewish nation. And she keeps asking him, Jesus, free my daughter. Jesus, deliver my daughter. Jesus, heal my daughter. And Jesus finally says something. He says, well, the children have to be filled first. It's their breed. It's their breed. They've got to be fed first. And it's not good to take the bread and throw it to the dogs. See, the children at the table, it's their legacy. It's their food. It's their promise. It belonged to them. It was for them to feast on. It was for them to benefit from. You see, she has no rights to what he has to offer, but she wants what he has to offer. And now it was God's plan to make a way for all to come to, Je to him, and Jesus was in the process of walking out that plan. But that was under the new covenant, the covenant that was to be based on the blood and the sacrifice that happened on the cross. 
And she's asking under the old covenant. The time wasn't quite right. But her answer, yes, Lord. And look at that, she acknowledges that he's Lord. Yes, Lord. She could see who he is and she says, but even, she could have got offended. How many would even go, what? Call me a dog? Leave him. If she had left and got offended, she never would have got a miracle. Sometimes you hear something from God, you get offended because it's not what you want to hear. Well, you can leave and you can walk off, but you're not going to get your miracle. Amen? It was a bit rough, wasn't it? <laughs> She's saying, even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Jesus, just give me some crumbs. She's saying, all I need are some crumbs. All I need is just a little bit of the promise. I just need a touch. I just need a crumb. The answer for saying this, she's saying, because you said this, because of your answer, go home, go home. Your daughter is free. And her answer brought the result she believed for. She had faith. She said, all I need is a crumb. I'm not one of the children at the table feasting on bread, but all I need is a crumb. Jews, I, I can't stop, help but stop and think. That's the power of a crumb. The power of a crumb changed a life forever. The power of a crumb. And we're sitting at the table, we've got the whole loaf. Does that not blow your mind? The power of a crumb changed a life forever. And we get to sit at a table where the loaves are. The power of a crumb. Take that next time someone talks to you and they're not a Christian and they ask you to pray for them. Well, they need a crumb. Well, they need a crumb because a crumb can change your life. It makes all the difference when you think of it that way. Well, they need is a crumb. But what you want to do is you want that crumb to lead to the table. Amen? So when you stop and think about it, does it not blow your mind? If that's what a crumb can do, what can happen at the table that we are invited to sit at, that has been prepared for us, that has everything we should need sitting on it? I think that just, doesn't that blow your mind? It's a crumb. And a crumb made all that difference. In Revelation 3.20, this is talking to the church. It's in the middle of a conversation to a church. Am I right, Pastor Mike? We use it for salvation, but it's in the midst of a conversation with the church. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and I will eat with him and he with me. There's your invitation. There's your invitation. He wants to eat with you. But you know, sometimes people are scared of a table because sometimes there can be deep conversation around a table. Sometimes a table can be quite intimate. So I'm asking you, do you believe you can come and sit at the table? Because I find there's different groups of people. There's those that, yes, I can sit at the table. Then there's those who are like sitting in the car table in the corner, viewing it from a distance, but they don't feel that they can come and sit at the table because they feel there's no room for them, or they feel they're not worthy enough yet, or they feel they've got to fix this, and they've got to do that, and they've got to do this, and they've got to do that before they can sit at the table. Are you sitting at the table, or are you viewing it from a distance? 
Or maybe you're sneaking in every now and again looking for a crumb. We know that there's power in the crumb, and that's a good beginning. But you can be sitting at the table. You can be sitting at the table. And you know, we can have a relationship with him where we can be sitting at the table. Sitting at the table. Now, few are here, anybody in any room talking to you all, those online talking to you all. Few have never realized that you can have a relationship with him and sit at the table. That's your first step. It's what we call salvation. All it is, is such a simple, simple decision but the most life-changing, amazing decision you will ever, ever make in your life. If you have never said, you see, we get used to it because we're in church, but there's people that don't realize they can have an intimate relationship with God. So if you've never made that decision, I want to put that invitation out there this morning. It's a simple thing to do. If you're online and you're listening to this, all it is is just coming to him. There's no magic words. Most of us in this room would have done it. It's just a matter of saying, Lord, you could relate it to what you've heard today. Lord, I want to sit at that table. Lord, I'm sorry that I've tried to do this without you, but I ask you to come into my life. I ask you, Lord, I want to sit at that table. I want to have that intimacy. I want to have that relationship. Because he's asking you, just like he asked Zacchaeus, I want to be with you. Amen. Maybe you're a person who's gone through some rubbish. I was going to say a different word. Not a swear word, but probably, you know. <laughs> and the enemy is selling you the lie that you are not worthy to sit at the table. You might be coming along to church or you might be involved and you might think to yourself, I, I enjoy being around this. I enjoy being in the same place as the table. But I don't feel that I'm worthy enough to sit at the table. That's you, I'm going to pray for you this morning. Well, maybe you're at the stage where you're starting to sneak up every now and again and grab a crumb. And I'm not putting you down for that because our, our life is a journey. So if you've got to that place, you're seeking him. You're wanting to be at the table. You're wanting to get closer. But what I want is to see you sitting at the table. It's why I do what I do, because I hate seeing people being robbed of what they should have in their lives and what they can have in their lives. And I've seen too many Christians who are just living life, but they're not living life abundantly. But we can, amen? We can, because there's a table. There's a table full of provision. There's a table that gives us protection. And there's a table that above all else, my favorite part, means we can be in his presence. Amen. And in this crazy world with everything that's going around, do you know what's the most important thing in the midst of this? It's your relationship with him. It's you coming around that table. It's you saying, Lord, show me. Show me what you want me to work on. Show me. Show me where you're speaking to me. Show me what to do about this. Help me lay this down. Help me pick this up. 
help me we're losing the intimacy and the words that we would do in the old days when we had altars and people would just fall at those altars and cry because there was an intimacy as they came around the table and as we are getting in smaller groups and as we're having to isolate and do all those things I'm watching people watch church we don't want to watch church we want to be seated around the table in your house today. If you're isolating, you're seated. You can be seated around that table with your family. You can be believing for those promises. You can be believing for all that he has. You can believe that the presence of God is just coming into your lounge, your kitchen, into each room that is here. That presence is just coming in now because you are seated at a table. And it's not about the table, but it's whose table it is. Amen. Love you to stand with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. We just, as a group of people, where no matter where we are, just want to lift our hands right now, my God. And thank you, Lord, for that table. That table that's prepared for us, my God. Lord, we want to thank you, my God, Lord, for the power that's at that table. We want to thank you for the presence that's at that table, the provision and the protection that's at that table. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, my God, Lord, would be willing, my God, Lord, to start ministering, my God, Lord, to those who don't even know they can sit at your table. Lord, because your presence, it's nothing like it. It's nothing like presence. It's nothing like having a relationship with you, my God, when everything else is stripped away. That's all there is. Just you and me family sitting at a table that you've prepared. Lord, I pray for anyone that's made that decision that they want to sit at that table and they didn't know that table existed. I thank you, my God, Lord, right now for making decision. My God, Lord, just praying that prayer that, Lord, I give myself to you. Lord, forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Lord, Lord, I pray for that person that's sitting there right now saying, but I'm limp. I have a limp. I'm damaged. I've been dropped by another. I've been through circumstances. But you know, I was dropped. And I found my God. And it says that as I continue to walk, He will strengthen me. So the limp is now gone. Amen. You don't have to agree that you're going to walk with the limp or you're sitting at a table trying to cover your legs because you know that they'll limp. Because he loves you. He set a place for you. Maybe you've made decisions of your own that have been dumb decisions that have caused you to limp. That doesn't make a difference either. No difference at all. Because he's prepared the table. He's paid the price. 
You couldn't earn a place at that table if you tried. Because that place at the table has been given. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your table. Thank you for everything that you are. We worship and we magnify you and we come with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer, feel happy to come up. I've got a mask in my pocket. I'll pray from a distance, whatever you need. But I'd hate you to walk away knowing that you wanted prayer. Amen. Amen. So tonight it's 6.30. My preach another message. It's a bit of fun. And I won't get in trouble for the online people. For the online people, I won't get in trouble. So if you want to be part of it, you need to come and be part of it tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you.